Hello, this is Bill Kennedy with the Arden Labs podcast. And today our very special guest is Chris Brando. Hey, Chris, how's it going? Hey, I'm doing very well. How are you, Bill? Doing excellent. Now that you're here, I'm so excited that you agreed to uh, talk to us today. Now, just so everybody gets a good idea of where you are today in terms of who you are a little bit, give me two minutes of what Chris Brando is doing right now. All right. Day-to-day, full-time job. I work at a company called Wonderkind as a senior software engineer. And in my personal time, I do a lot of various different things, right? I have spoken at GopherCon a number of times in the past few recent years. I am a panelist on the GoTime podcast. I'm a program chair for GopherCon. And I have a, a few side projects that I'm, you know, trying to get going and, and trying to trying to work on, including a manual style for for the Go programming language. Wow. Okay, that's a lot there. We're going to uncover all of it. But tell me again the company you're working at. You said Wonder. Wonderkind, spelled W-U-N-D-E-R-K-I-N-D. Tell me a little bit about what they are doing and what your role is there. Wonderkind is like a a marketing enhancement company. You can most recognizably see our product if you go to a website and you get one of those pop-ups that's like, hey, give us your phone number for 10% off or give us your email for like 20% off. That's basically one of the main products we have. But kind of the goal of the company is to help convert uh, prospective customers into actual customers and help people find products that they enjoy and they like and that work for them. I specifically work on the SMS product, which is interacting with the customers of our clients via text messaging, whether that is just kind of texting messages and getting back responses for like, oh, what are your sales this week? Or for just getting kind of like, oh, hey, you like left some items in your cart, uh, you should come back and, and, and check out and, and those sorts of things. And how long have you been there? You've been there a couple of years now? Has it been that long? How long have you been there? Oh, under a year. Okay, brilliant. Okay. So now we got a, a general sense of where, where you are right now today. What I want to do is explore your story about how, how we get to today. And so my favorite very first question is I want you to think back, think all the way back in time on that first time that you got to do something on a computer, not not gaming so much, like where you you had that experience of controlling the, controlling the computer. What, what is one of your first memories of something like that? I think it was, uh, I was about in sixth grade, so like 2002-ish, and my dad had bought me my first programming book. It was like, I think like programming for dummies and it was with QBasic and I just kind of sat down and I was like typing in programs and, and seeing the output and seeing the things I could do. And that's kind of like the first time that I was like, oh, you can like do more with computers than like playing games or like surfing the web. You can actually like manipulate and control them. And I actually kind of grew up in a, in a house that had like a lot of computers. My dad has a master's degree in computer engineering. My mom studied computer science. So like basically from the time I was seven, eight, nine, around that time, I was been building computers with my dad. While my friends had like one computer for their household, I had like two of my own computers that I had built myself. But I didn't really get into programming until, until much later on. Like my first then my first like toe in the pond or toe in the pool was with QBasic and, and that programming book. Okay. So this is interesting to me. So we're talking 2002, your parents already have 
degrees in computer science. So they must have went to school in the late 70s or something, right? Like, it's kind of funny because my dad likes to talk about how like what computer science degrees were back then and how it was kind of just like this this exploration of the space still. And we didn't really know what we were doing yet. So there was all these like fun things to learn. It's funny because my mom, every time she tells a story of like why she got out of the industry, she tells it as like she was programming. I don't remember which programming language, but she had spent with her coworkers, I think like 16 hours debugging a program and she finally figured out that there was a missing semicolon and she was just like i'm done with this like no more i'm gonna go do something else i can't deal with this what did she end up doing after the semicolon gate <laughs> she just kind of like shifted away from the computer science industry i think she, she was basically a stay-at-home mom for a little while she's always had a side business as a seamstress she actually like sews baby accessories so like towels and like cloth books and all that kind of stuff and sells them at craft fairs. Then eventually she wound up working for the state. She works at a, at a psychiatric hospital. And interestingly, she <laughs> wound up doing some form of technology because she, uh, for a number of years, ran the phone system for the hospital, which for a long time was run on like a, a DOS you know, server and then finally got upgraded. Now they're on VoIP and she has somehow wound up continuing to do that sort of stuff, which is which is kind of funny. It's like our, our family just can't get away from tech. No, it, what happens is as soon as somebody knows that you're technical or can do something, you're immediately asked for help. And it's hard to say no, right? Yeah. Now that we're talking about 2002, do you know if your dad was a software developer or was he doing more opsy? Thing? Like, do you know what he was kind of focused on? So my dad, like a number of family members, works on the kind of defense industry side of software engineering. Um, so like the, the Lockheed Martins, the General Electrics, the General Dynamics. Around my teenage years, he was definitely like working for one of those kinds of companies. I mean, he kind of works really low level in software. So kind of at the edge of hardware, he works with a lot of hardware people. I think he, he got his first job because he knew how to program an assembler. He writes in C and Ada now. So he's just kind of that really low level, close to the hardware type of... And he's still working. He's still working. Yep. He's still doing that sort of stuff. So did you grow up in California or like Maryland, Virginia that you were doing defense stuff? Is that... No, actually, we grew up upstate New York. Capital region? Yeah, the capital region. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. There was that kind of industry up there. Okay, okay. Very cool. A question that now comes to mind here that you have these technical parents, they're already kind of working in the industry here. Did you ever feel any pressure from your parents to, to be in tech or to work in tech or anything like that? Not so much from my parents, but from my extended family. Uh, you know, at family gatherings, I have these memories of just people asking me, oh, are you going to go into computers like your dad? I remember always telling them like, no, I'm going to be an author. Because from as young as I can remember, I've always wanted to be a writer. I've always wanted to author and publish books. And that is like what I was intent on doing. And I, I actually specifically was just like, no, I am not going to go into computers. I'm not going to be a software engineer like my like my dad is. So you wanted to write novels? Were you talking about fiction? Yeah, yeah. When I was younger, I wanted to be a fiction author and write novels. Specifically, I wanted to write series of novels, things like The Lord of the Rings or like the Harry Potter. Like I, I like the idea of just like developing a set of characters and then carrying them over from novel to novel to novel over time and kind of developing them very robustly. Okay. Okay. So you're 12 years old. Computers are a big thing in the family, at least. You have a couple at home. You're learning some basic, but your passion 
is really about writing. This is what you want to study. So I imagine then when you get into high school, which would be three years later, maybe around 2005. So tell me a little bit about high school, because I'm curious about two things. Did you focus your extracurricular activities around writing, or did you find yourself also maybe taking those computer classes or doing things technically? Like, tell me a little bit about that. I was definitely a very busy child. My parents kept us, uh, me and my sister, very busy. So I was an athlete. I was a swimmer. Uh, I played soccer for a while. I was also a musician. Uh, I played piano and saxophone. I was also a Boy Scout. So there was like, I also bowled with my dad. So there was like a lot going on all of the time. But as far as like classes, I did kind of split the difference. I took a bunch of creative writing classes in high school. And I also took the two computer science courses they offered, in which I learned C and C++. All right. So you are doing some programming in high school in these classes. Did you do anything extracurricular outside of high school or all of this is kind of here in high school? I mean, most of the extracurriculars I listed were outside of high school. I didn't really do a, t a ton of extracurriculars in high school, mostly just because, you know, basically every night of the week it was, okay, well, we have a Boy Scout meeting or we have swim practice or we have this other thing. So I didn't have a lot of time to like join in on many high school extracurricular clubs or anything like that. And plus you had all the homework you had to do, right? Yeah. <laughs> do not miss that. As you're finishing up high school, okay, because it sounds like you're you're being educated in a really well-rounded way, right? Your your parents want you to have the, the social experiences. You're you're into sports. You're doing your writing. The computer seems more like it was a class. I'm trying to get a sense from you as you're as you're getting near the end of high school. Is your head still like I really want to write that next novel? Or has the computer classes also started to get into your head as maybe this is a better career? So interestingly, I think for me, computers had really just been like a gaming sort of thing. Like, oh, I, I really like playing video games. So that was kind of like how I had seen computers a lot. I did try to get into like video game programming a little bit. But I think there, there was just something I didn't that didn't quite click for me about programming. Like, like I couldn't do visual like GUI programming and that felt like what computers were. And I didn't really like Visual Basic and some of those. So programming as a whole wasn't really pulling me in compared to a bunch of other things I was doing. Toward the end of high school, when I was starting to like figure out, okay, like what do I want to go to college for? Like what do I want to major in? And I was kind of split between three pretty different things. I had fallen in love with chemistry. So I was considering becoming a chemistry major. Obviously, creative writing was on the table because I absolutely loved writing. And also, interestingly, I had, through music, wound up becoming part of the theater organization within high school. I had started doing a lot of audio work, and I had absolutely fallen in love with audio. So it's kind of like juggling these three things, kind of entering college. I remember my dad said to me, hey, I'm like paying for college. So go to school for something you love and you will figure it out afterward. And that was definitely some of the best advice he ever gave me. And I think that's like in stark contrast to what a lot of people experience. But yeah, he was just like, if you don't know which of these three things that you want to do, go in undeclared and then pick a major once you're there and have, have tried out some of these classes. And that's essentially exactly what I did. I actually wound up getting accepted. Uh, I went to SUNY Oswego, so I got accepted to Oswego. And then I was undeclared, going undeclared. And then they're like, hey, we have this program. I want to explore that for a second. Because 
I have to imagine that a lot of kids are getting out of high school and your parents want you to choose a path where you know there's a job at the end of it, right? Like I have five kids and I'm always looking at, are they moving towards a career where I can relax that there's going to be an income there, right? And when I think about the three choices you had there, which was creative writing, potentially chemistry and audio, my stomach hurts because becoming a chemical engineer, you can do that, but there isn't a lot of work out there for that. Creative writing makes it sound like you're going to be a starving artist to me. And the audio, yeah, I think you need a lot of breaks maybe to to break in there. So for your dad to say that, it kind of takes this huge stress off your back, right? Yeah. He also of note said to me, you know, you and your and your mom and your sister, you all have really good talents and you should really go out and build your own businesses. You should go and and be your own boss and not be, you know, beholden to someone else. You have the skills and the knowledge to be able to go and do this. So I think kind of from early on, my dad had a, a very different picture for where he wanted his kids to like go in life and what he wanted them to do. It is kind of like out of sync with what a lot of other parents do. Like a lot, I had some friends in college that were like, yeah, yeah, I, I'm a theater major, but my parents are really upset about it. And they really want me to be like a business major or something that will like lead to a job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is interesting then because now you have to choose a university and you get to choose a university that's maybe a little bit more blended in terms of what it can offer as opposed to something specific. So you decide to stay in the SUNY system. SUNY stands for State University of New York in Oswego, which I think is good because you would have had a strong liberal arts program there and then you could have focused on whatever the major is. So you go in independent kind of of a major but by the end of year two, you've got to make a decision. So tell me about what's happening in those first two years and then what decision you end up making, because that's, to me, interesting. There's this kind of program for a certain set of majors. You kind of get paired together and you like live together and you have your first classes together. And it's like this kind of introducing to college and giving you like a good foundation to like build on. So you're not kind of there by yourself. And the three majors that they had this, I think it was like learning and living community or something like that, were music, theater, and art. And they basically called me over the summer before I started college. And they're like, hey, so we saw that you're interested in potentially becoming a theater major. We have this program. Would you like to be a part of it? And I talked to my dad and my dad was like, well, you can always change your major later. So if you really think that audio is the path you want to go, then take advantage of this, like pick up that opportunity and go for it. And that's what I actually did. So by the time I actually started college, I entered as a theater major. Now, when I hear theater major, I'm not thinking an audio track. I'm thinking you're going to be on stage. Were you thinking the same thing? Like, I'm going to have to do all of this, right? Not at all, actually. I actually had talked to one of the people who became one of my audio mentors before actually starting college. And they were actively trying to bootstrap an actual audio major that would focus on live audio in theater, recorded audio in the music department, and radio broadcasting in the, in the radio department or in the broadcasting department. So I had entered the program knowing that I would specifically be on this more technical track. So not being on stage, not performing, but being a behind the scenes person specializing in audio. Okay, cool. So 
you enter as a theater major, you're going to focus on audio. Did you ever get a chance to do some DJ then on the campus radio? Was that part of your... Oh, so the story gets real fun after this. <laughs> so I never wound up working for the radio station. However, I did wind up working at the TV station, which we can get into in a little bit. But I did, interestingly, really pursue a lot of the audio stuff, even though I wound up not even getting the audio minor. And I have actually mixed a full-length album as part of the recording classes that I took. We interestingly picked that year's musical, which happened to be Songs from a New World, which is basically two hours straight of music, which is a very long album to record. It sounds like then everyone that was in that production, you did an album. So they all came into the studio and sang those songs. So you got to get all that experience of working with artists and mixing, recording, producing. Actually, for like pretty much my entire time in college, from sophomore year to senior year, I was assistant sound designer on most of the productions for the theater department, since there weren't a ton of sound people within the theater department. So I got a lot of experience doing that kind of stuff, working with Pro Tools, mixing things for a live audience. But it sounds like since this was all new, you were kind of on your own learning this stuff too, right? Did you have the teachers and the mentors there? Interestingly, I did. Like one of my sound professors had worked on Broadway as a sound technician and sound designer. My recording professor had mixed, I think, like a couple of platinum albums. We had really good mentors. Like the audio program was set up to be like a, a very good program for us, we go just because of the talent and the people that they had there. So it sounds like you're loving this track. Again, we're about after two years. I mean, you really got to commit, but this is not a major. So this is your minor. What is your major? This all happens in the span of my freshman year, too. A little bit of backstory is when my parents and I go to the campus to like do a tour, my dad's like, oh, hey, there's a television studio. Isn't that like something you want to do? I'm like, no, 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 dad. I'm doing theater. I'm doing that audio. I'm not doing broadcast. I'm not doing TV. Those are those are the other people. And then come fall, I, I just wind up somehow getting to the general interest meeting for the television station. I'm like, oh, I, I kind of, this stuff seems interesting. So I wind up joining up with the TV station, falling absolutely in love with TV broadcast and starting down the path of becoming a broadcast engineer. A very interesting thing about SUNY Oswego is that the television station called WTOP is a hundred percent student run and student funded so there's not like any professional staff or anything and it's a 24 7 broadcasting studio that broadcasts not only on campus closed circuit but also out to the community via community access channel so it's like a real full-fledged television station so i'm interested in the bias did you feel like the theater was just a higher level of performance than the TV, like the TV, your hack. But when you're on stage, <laughs> the theater kids had that. And I, I got that kind of taste in my mouth until I actually hung out with the broadcast kids. I think if I'd started a different year, it probably would have wound up being the same. But the year I started was actually the first full semester that the new campus center had opened. And in that new campus center, Al Roker, who's an alumnus of SUNY Oswego, had donated money along with NBC to build a brand new television studio with, that was, I think, about $3 million. So we had this brand new shiny television station that really no one knew how anything worked in it. And there weren't a ton of broadcast engineers. So even though I was hearing from theater people like, oh, like they're, they're just they're just hacks. They're not really doing anything really cool. 
my experience with the television station was like, oh, no, this is like really awesome stuff. We have this brand new shiny equipment. It's all works. It's all functioning. Meanwhile, the theater department, as theater departments tend to be, was very underfunded, did not have new shiny stuff. So that kind of pulled me more and more toward broadcast. And there was actually a point in the spring semester of my freshman year At this point, I had actually picked up a double major. So I was majoring in theater and creative writing. I had had some spats with some people. I'd actually flipped those to be creative writing as my primary major and theater as my secondary. And hockey is really big at Sudanese We Go. And we broadcast all the hockey games. And there's this position called a technical director, which is basically sitting in front of the switcher, which is if you've ever seen a TV station studio, it's that thing that has all of those lit up buttons And I had mastered the one that we had. I'd sat down, I read the manual. I was like, I really am interested in this thing. Uh, And it was the most important game of the year. It was against our rival, SUNY Plattsburgh. It's called the Whiteout Game. Highly attended, like highly prestigious. And I was like, I want to switch this game. I want to be the technical director for this game. And there also happened to be a rehearsal, like early, early stage rehearsal for the musical. And I was like, hey, can I get out of this rehearsal so I can go do the switching? And my mentor was like, you can, but if you do, you're off the show. And I was like, oh, I don't like this at all. I don't. (laughs) And I was like, nope, nope, nope. And I literally dropped that major, dropped the theater major and picked up a broadcasting major the next week. So this is like February-ish of my freshman year of college. Wow. So a couple things here, which is super interesting. It seems like the theater department and now this new TV department were probably a little bit at heads. And so I, I can kind of see some animosity there, especially since timing is everything. And, and you got to walk into a situation where all this stuff was new and being taught. And people don't realize, because I think I got an amazing education at SUNY Potsdam. Sometimes I think there's this idea that these state universities, because they're small, are like rinky-dink. You're not going to get something you could have gotten at maybe more private school. But think about the education you got at SUNY Oswego because of Al Roker, the funding, and and all that. I think that's amazing. And then on that hockey game, I mean, you were basically producing the show, right? So there's a director that usually calls out like, okay, camera three, okay, take, ready camera two, take. I was the person sitting there actually hitting the buttons, making all of that happen, making the transitions happen, kicking us to commercial when you did commercial, all of that stuff. And interestingly, to jump like a little bit ahead about the quality of the, the television station, once again, run entirely by students, funded entirely by students. For one of these big hockey games, Time Warner Cable Sports came in and they're like, oh, well, we're going to broadcast this game. And they literally set their cameras up next to ours and we were broadcasting simultaneously. And people that could see our feed were turning off their feed and turning on ours because our coverage was better. And from that game forward, Time Warner Cable Sports would pick up our broadcast of those hockey games and broadcast them across central and upstate New York. Nice, man. That must have felt amazing, right? To essentially have a better product production-wise than the big company trying to come in. Absolutely. It was a phenomenal feeling when that happened. Just to see how far we were actually going and how much we could we could do with like just a bunch of essentially teenagers and early, you know, early 20s running a, a professional broadcast station. All right. So that means that going into your sophomore year university at this point, you're now focusing on creative writing as a major. You're kind of out of the theater work and you're focusing 
on the TV side. But the TV, is that kind of only a minor or major or is it? It was my second major. So I was majoring in broadcasting. That was my second major. Creative writing was my primary major. Okay. So you end up graduating university, I'd say in 2012. So do you end up getting both these majors? Do you end up getting the creative writing major and the TV major? Yes. Yes. I graduated with both of the majors. And interestingly, something else that happened that's actually directly related to how I wound up in software engineering is because, interestingly, the, the TV station was chronically underfunded. And we had a, a really strong problem in my sophomore year where we had a bunch of our cameras just fail. Our field equipment was failing and we needed new ones. And we just didn't have the resources. So it was like, oh, go to the Student Association Senate and ask for money. So we went ask for money. We wound up getting some of the money, but it intrigued me, piqued my interest. I'm like, oh, I've never seen student government before. And I guess to, to kind of speed up the story there, I wound up joining the Student Association Senate and doing a ton of stuff with it, uh, including rewriting the entire budget process and, and running the finance committee and helping reshape the entire student association. But that experience, along with being part of the television station, is actually what started me off building websites and how I got my first professional contract. Chris, I'm exhausted. I can't imagine you doing all of these things. I I don't even know when you're sleeping. When are you sleeping? You got full-time classwork on creative writing, which I have to imagine is a demanding load. They must have asked you to write something. I mean, talk a little bit about that. Like you had to have written a mini novel or like, because I don't understand how you're doing it. By the time I graduated, my two concentrations were in screenwriting and playwriting. And I had like basically to finish a concentration, you have to go like the 100, 200, 300, 400 level. And they got to the 300 of fiction. So I didn't quite get there with fiction. But yeah, I was doing a lot of writing, not only for my creative writing classes, but also for the English courses that were part of the creative writing degree. I was also doing a lot of editing for my broadcasting degree. I don't really remember when I slept or how I pulled all of that off because, yeah. And also, mind you, I'm at taking classes at a click of like 18 credits per semester, which the the usual amount is 15. I think 18 is basically the max. Uh, I wound up graduating with like, I think, 20 20 or 30 more credits than I actually needed to graduate. I was doing so much in college and I do not remember how I got all of that done. I mean, other than maybe drinking a lot of coffee because five-hour energy didn't exist yet, I don't think. Was your social life tied into hanging out with the people at the TV station? And Because, I mean, I don't think you had time too much to just go to a party somewhere. Yeah, the the social life, definitely when you're part of less so the student government, but definitely the TV station was basically, I mean, like kind of how they have like Greek life and sports life. We had like the media orgs life. We're like, yeah, those are the people that you hang out with, you chill with, you go to parties with. So that was kind of my social circle. But yeah, I still had, you know, connections to the theater people. So I was also hanging out with the theater people sometimes. So I did manage to do a fair amount of socializing. And once again, I do not know how I fit all of that into a day. Neither do I. I mean, you didn't have time to blink. I'm exhausted just hearing it. Okay. Let's say that you're in your last year or semester of university, which I'm guessing is around 2012. And you know you're going to graduate with your creative writing. You focused a lot on writing screenplays and you've done a tremendous amount in TV. You... You now also mastered student government. 
you have all this in front of you. It's now time to graduate and get employed. What's going through your head? Where is it that you want to look for a job? I remember sitting down my senior year of college toward the end, and I was just like, I have three choices. I can go out and I try and become a writer. I can go out and try to become a broadcast engineer, or I can do this web software thing that I have started doing. And I was like, well, the other two probably aren't going to pay me very well. But this software thing, it seems like I can probably do it. You started to get a taste for building websites from the student government work you were doing. Is that right? Yeah. To go a little bit back, my freshman year, the TV station had this thing called Movie Marathon, where we'd like show a bunch of movies on the on the closed circuit station. And we had basically, it was just like calling into voting. And I built this kind of little web app to let people vote online. And that kind of piqued my interest, but it kind of waned for a while. And then when I was part of student government, we were contemplating buying this software to help us manage budgeting online and all this other stuff. And it seemed like this exorbitant amount of money. I was like, oh my God, this is so much money. I was like to a friend, I'm like, we could probably just build this ourselves. Turns out we, we couldn't, but it kind of got me more interested in, in this kind of building out technology. And then the real thing that gave me that boost I needed, that jump I needed, was I became the director of technology for the television station for my senior year. And we had this very manual paper process for checking out field equipment. And I was like, I've hated this for the entire time that I've been at the station. I want an online re equipment reservation system. So I started scouring the internet, looking for something that would enable us to do this. And I wound up finding a module for Drupal that could do it. So I spent the summer learning Drupal, trying to understand how all of this works, putting together, setting it up. And by the end of the summer, I had a working equipment reservation system for the television station. I was like, great, this is awesome. I was so proud of it. I went around and showed everybody. I showed one of my professors who was my mentor and my advisor. And she was like, you built what? You built this for, for free? And I was like, yeah, yeah, no, I just built it so we could use it at TOP. And she was like, hmm. And then I get this email and start having this conversation with the broadcasting department because they had been looking for an equipment reservation system for so long and they hadn't been able to find one that was affordable. So I sit down and have a conversation with them and they're like, can you build this for us? And I was like, yes, I can for money. And they're like, oh, yeah, 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 of course, of course, we can, we can pay you. So I wrote up a contract and wrote up what the system would do and... We executed it, and that was the first time that I got paid to build software. You could have spent that summer focusing on your writing. You could have spent that summer maybe getting an internship somewhere at a TV station. You spent that summer learning Drupal. That became your highest priority because this thing that was in your life, you knew you were going to come back to, right? You made that your priority to solve so you could have a better life during that year. And that now turns into a contract, which I have to imagine you reused a lot of that code, right? Come on, Chris, talk to me here. I was configuring <laughs> Drupal. That's what I was doing. I didn't write my first <laughs> Drupal module until after I graduated college. So. so this is interesting because you finish your creative writing now, you do your TV, you're now getting into software development. I mean, you've added another thing, Chris, because that's what Chris does. Added another thing to his plate. You're doing software development. And now we're about to graduate and you go, you know what? The software development thing is kind of fun. 
Yeah, I was like, I really, really, really like doing this. I was like, I want to do this more. I want this to be my job. It unlocked this thing of like me just wanting to to learn and understand. How I got to the point I was be, was because of that, right? I was in the television station because I'm such a such a high level engineer because I just kept wanting to learn things, kept wanting to improve things. I was known in the student government because I kept wanting to know things, kept wanting to improve things. I had found something that was like seemingly infinitely deep in its complexity. And I just wanted to understand it. And then I realized I can actually get paid to do this full time. But I'm going to pump the brakes because you don't have the education you could have had over the last four years doing this. Your education's in creative writing. Your education's in TV production. And now at the end of university, after spending all these times, you're thinking, yeah, I'm going to become a software engineer. Like, mind blown. Did you, at that time, not now, today or anything, but at that time, feel any sort of regret like, man, I wish I had gone in and got a computer science degree, knowing now what I know and wanting to pursue this career? Not one bit then, and even less now. Okay. So what makes you think with a degree in creative writing and TV production that you're going to now go get a software development job? What's in your head, Chris? I built a bunch of websites <laughs> at that point. I built, I built the one for the broadcast department. I built the one for the TV station. I'd actually had successfully built a budgeting system for the student government. And I built like a couple websites for classes I was a part of. And I basically took all of those things and I made a resume of them. And I'm like, this looks like enough things. I, I think I could probably convince somebody. Like, I know how Drupal works. I'm understanding it. I can write things with, I can write modules now. Like, I think I can do this. I, I guess part of it was hubris. I just started applying all over the place. In the capital region, right there in the capital region. IBM, GE. Actually, I really wanted to move to New York City. Like that had been my goal. Okay, number one media market if I wanted to go into broadcast engineering. But too, I just was always had this like, I really love New York City. Always wanted to live here. So I started applying to a lot of jobs in the New York City area. Also like upstate still in the capital region. But at the point, it's like, okay, I'm just going to be like a web developer, right? And software engineer wasn't even in my vernacular at that point. I'm going to be a web developer. And I started applying a bunch of places. And then I, I got the break of one place that like actually sat down and they talked to me and they're like, oh, you're exactly what we need. You have so much knowledge of Drupal. And that was a couple months out of college. And before I knew it, I had two weeks to move down to the New York City area, uh, get myself an apartment, get myself a car, because actually the job was out in New Jersey. I got that first full-time job as a Drupal developer. At the end of 2012, I imagine, right? You, you graduate in the spring? Yeah, I graduated in the spring. So this is July time that I got that first job. July 2012. Yeah. So you got this job in New Jersey, which lets you commute from the city. But dude, I mean, it's expensive to live in the city. So you got to have a roommate. Like, like, how are we doing that? I actually uh, got a place in Jersey City, which is close enough okay. to commute into the city while I'm a going city, but also pretty easy to, to be able to drive out to, to the place in, in Jersey. Interestingly, I wasn't at that place for very long. It turned out to just not be a really good fit for me or for them. So after about three months, kind of like called it off. And then I started looking for other jobs. It was perfect timing too, because Hurricane Sandy hit right around that time. And I was able to just leave the city and go back to my parents' house, which was really nice. But while I was at my parents' house slash up visiting my friends at Oswego, uh, I had applied for a job at Columbia University 
through a recruiter and I got the call that I had gotten that job. And that was my first like big name place job as a web developer. Wow. Wow. Okay. So like now it's 2013 and your next gig is at Columbia University, which is great, right? I imagine do you move in upper Manhattan up there now, right? To be close to the university or you're, or you're commuting from... For a while, I was commuting from Jersey City, and then I moved to Hell's Kitchen and then to Harlem. I actually worked at the medical center for Columbia, so that's even further up. That's in Washington Heights, which is kind of near the the George Washington Bridge. How was that job? Were you building, maintaining, and was it still Drupal at the time? Because now we're talking 2013. So at that point, it was still Drupal. Interestingly, I was the most senior Drupal person there. So yeah, I was not only just building things with Drupal, but also like helping my coworkers understand Drupal, understand how to how to work with it, how to do things, how to build modules, all of this stuff. So I was doing a, a lot of mentoring. And interestingly, in the fall of 2013, I go to this meetup, this full stack engineering meetup. And I meet this very interesting guy named Sam Boyer. He's okay. a big guy in the Drupal community, and we're we're talking about Drupal. And he and and I'm expressing like some of my like frustrations with Drupal. And he says to me, he's like, Ah, you want to know what that is? It's complexity. You you don't like the complexity. You should really look at this programming language called Go. It is the embodiment of simplicity. And I, I had taken a quick look at Go when I had first graduated. Uh, it was like kind of hot at that point. And I was like, oh, this syntax confuses me. I, I can't do this right now. But that started me on the path of exploring Go. And I kind of decided at one point that Columbia was not really a place I wanted to stay. I liked the job. I liked the people. But the, the pay wasn't really great being high education and all. And I, I jumped to this other company, a, a small nutrition school in Nomad. And there I got the opportunity to actually pitch a project to basically build an internal system. And I said, hey, can I build this with Go? And I actually got them to agree to let me build it with Go. What's fascinating to me here is I've never done anything with Drupal. So give me 30 seconds on programming in Drupal. Is it a curly brace language? It is more of a PHP? I, I don't know anything. So you had no formal education in programming. You, you know Drupal. This is what you know. You make this jump. Drupal is PHP. So I've been writing like a lot of PHP. I picked up the language pretty quickly. I just made this jump to go. This language seems like I like it. I was writing a bunch of web services with Drupal. We were doing headless Drupal around that time. And I was like, Go seems much better for writing web services. This makes a lot of sense. Because if you were to ask me, what language have you done the most training? What developers and what language have you done the most training for? It's PHP. I've seen more PHP shops move to Go. I asked a group of engineers one time, I said, I have this bias that I think of PHP as a scripting language. You're some of the most technical people I've ever met. How are you this technical? And they looked at me and they said, Bill, have you ever tried to deploy PHP? <laughs> and I started laughing. You know, I started laughing. And I go, okay, I get it. So that complexity you're talking about has really created a generation or two of engineers who are really, really sharp because they've had to dig in deep to get that. So I can recognize that. So you get this project to write this next thing in Go, which is brilliant because it's Greenfield. So I 
when I first met you, you were working at Mongo DB. So give me the jump from that second job right outside of Columbia to our third job, right? To to MongoDB and, and when all that took place and how that happened. After that job at that small nutrition school, I really focused a lot on Go. It was like, this is this is now my primary programming language. So really into it, learned the idioms, went to the first GopherCon, absolutely loved it. And then basically, unfortunately, like everything started to unravel for various management reasons. And we all had to kind of like jump ship to a new place. And I landed at Thomson Reuters. And I worked on the instant messaging platform there, did a whole bunch of work with really highly concurrent workloads. Was that Go too? That was Go. Many millions of messages per day sort of load. And then after a few years there, I was kind of like, okay, I've done enough of this. And I started looking for other other gigs and I got this email from Mongo. And I was like, okay, I never really saw myself working at Mongo, but I'll give it a shot interviewed like the interview process got an offer and joined up like I, literally i think it was two weeks after they ipo'd oh wow 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 what were you doing over there you were working were you working on the sdks there or were you working on because the core database was written in c right the core database was written in c plus plus so i was working on the new go driver they hadn't had an official go driver there was the community one that was built so yeah i, I wrote the bulk of the code for the first official Go driver for MongoDB. Okay. And you were there for a good, what, couple of years? Now we're talking... Two years. 16, 17... 17 to 19. And then from Mongo, it's where you are now. Yep. You're doing hardcore, heads down, engineering in Go. Like you, you, That's where you are right now. That's, that's who you are. But that's that's not where you really imagined yourself in 2010, 2011, maybe even 2012 when you started this. So a couple of questions I have is, is what do your parents think about where you ended up compared to kind of where you started? My dad's just like, see, I told you you'd figure it out. My mom, <laughs> interestingly, uh, she, she sometimes remarks like, oh, you know, so I'm fortunate that you're not using like your, your college degree and your job. And when she says that, I always say back to her, mom, I use my degree every day. I have this assertion that I've been saying for years now that software engineering is a discipline of writing. Like everything I learned in my writing classes, entirely applicable to software engineering. Interestingly, the broadcasting degree I have is extremely helpful for maintaining software, especially running systems, because when you have to make sure that a studio, especially one that's built with like half new equipment, half old equipment, when you're, it's your job to make sure that studio keeps running, you learn how to debug really, really, really well. You don't get to have a step debugger. If you're in a live broadcast and all of a sudden the station goes black and you're the one that has to figure out what went wrong and how to fix it so that we can be broadcasting again, and you have not minutes, but seconds to figure out how to do that, you learn a lot of really good and handy skills about how to debug anything. And that is entirely applicable to software. So while my mom sometimes says, you're not using your degree, I'm like, no, mom, I use my degree every day in the work that I do. I think for my dad, though, he's always really, really wanted me to run my own company and run my own business. He's like, never have a boss. He's like, go out there, build your own thing. You're capable of doing it. And I didn't take his advice early on. I took a job instead of like trying to bootstrap my own company. But that's definitely what I'm looking at now for the future is is building my own thing. Because I'm, I'm at a point where it's just like, 
I know software really well. I have all these great ideas for business. And the industry is kind of in need of like some new, fresh ideas when it comes to building and growing tech companies. I own my own business. And unfortunately, there's always a boss. If it's not somebody's employee, it's your client or your customer. There's always a boss. I may have said this in other podcasts. I, I truly believe you're always working for yourself. How you get paid is just a formality, whether it's a W-2, 1099, or B2B. You always should have the mindset that you work for yourself because you get to choose where you're going to spend your time. I mean, you're not shackled there. You can leave any time you want. So I think it's critically important that everybody realize that you are your own boss and everything else is just a form of payment and time, right? You know, I do a tremendous amount of writing too. And I love making the analogy between writing documents, let's say, and writing software. There's huge analogy just on refactoring alone, right? On that first draft of writing is no different than the first draft of code, right? It requires refactoring. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this quote. Oh, maybe it was Tom Cook. He said, the software industry is one of the few industries where we ask people to learn how to write before we teach them how to read. And my classes are built all around the idea that if you know how to read really well, you'll know how to write very well. I want you to explore that in two ways. One, in the writing degree that you got, in terms of how much reading did they actually have you do in, in, in ratio to writing. And then I'd love to hear your thoughts about that from the software writing process as well. I think as a creative writing major, we don't really read, I think, as much as some people might assume we do. A lot of the skills that we learn are centered around, in some ways, like how to read, but also really about how to think critically about writing. So not so much just read a lot, but like read in specific ways, read in helpful ways. And also like, how do you form a group of people that you can do your writing with and criticize and have them criticize you and and kind of build better writing as a result of that? There was a fair amount of reading involved. And I think that reading was always from the angle of like, how can you borrow techniques and features from what you are reading to make your own writing better? And how can you kind of enhance the writing process to make that easier and easier over time? And I think from the software engineering perspective, I think that quote is very, very accurate. I think we do spend a lot of time not just teaching people how to write before they know how to read, but also emphasizing the writing portion over the reading portion. I think a lot of people have a lot of trouble and a lot of hate for Go because Go, essentially, as a community, we emphasize that reading part. It's like you don't get to just write something crappy and inflict that writing onto other people. You have to write as if you are going to be a reader, as if everyone else is going to be a reader. And that has to be high quality for those people to read, even if it takes you longer to do the writing. I think that's definitely one of the lessons I learned in school is that getting to good writing takes a lot of time and a lot of care and a lot of critical analysis. I always kind of say that some people seem to think that when you want to write a novel or a screenplay, you sit down and you write chapter one or you sit down and write the opening scene. That's not at all how you how you do writing. You sit down and you say, I have an idea. And you start doing character bios and, and brainstorming and writing scenes and, and kind of pulling the pieces of the story together. And by the time you sit down to write chapter one or write that opening scene, you already have an idea of what's going to happen on every page of that book. 
what's going to happen at the end, what's going to happen in the middle, how the characters are going to evolve. And that might shift as you write the book, but you have an idea of exactly where you're going to go, exactly where you're aiming to go. And I think a lot of the processes that we have in software engineering don't respect that. Software engineering programming is a type of creative writing. Like the same way that like you have journalism and you have screenwriting and playwriting and fiction, novel writing, software engineering goes right next to those things. Like what we do is we produce written documents that other people are going to consume with the purpose of transferring context and information from ourselves to those people. That is what we are doing with software. So I think you got the most amazing computer science degree at school, Chris, because your creative writing class gave you the reading and writing skills you needed to write code. And your TV class gave you the integration, production, and debugging skills. In fact, you may have gotten a better engineering degree than me and most others that have a CIS degree labeled after their name. And if I had to go back to school, I'm now thinking those degrees really did help and prepare you for the job that you have today. Okay. Are you spending any of your free time doing any writing? When am I going to see the next big screenplay, Chris? And maybe maybe there's a small role for me in there too, right? <laughs> I have kind of shifted away from the world of fiction and of screenwriting and playwriting. And I've found that I really, really enjoy nonfiction writing. And as far as like what I do for writing, being the writer I am, I always want to edit a lot. So what I'm trying to do right now is just like get myself in the habit of writing a lot. I, I journal every day. Actually, in my journal, I have a nice little street counter and it's up to, I think, 1,425 days, I want to say, of me writing every day. I've set myself a goal for the new year of writing 3,000 words every day in my journal. I have met that goal every day of this year so far. And I, I think in the in the long run, I do want to be someone that publishes books that help teach people things and publishes blog posts and articles that helps teach people things. And that's what I, I've been trying to gear up to do over the last few years. Like a lot of my, my GopherCon talks have been aimed in that direction of, I want to be a writer. I want to be someone that publishes. I just have to get better at writing because I have very high standards for myself that I think I, I get partially because I have a creative writing degree, but also just because I'm the type of person that likes to go out and challenge myself and learn more. I'm always benchmarking myself against myself. So I'm like, I, if I'm going to, if I'm going to go out and be a writer, I am going to be like the best writer, the best writer I can possibly be and be in that elite set of people that produces writing. Well, you know, I'm 51. I've been in the industry for a little over 30 years and I'm tired. I'm ready to retire, Chris. So I think in about 20 years from now, you're going to be tired and you're going to be able to fall back and finally write that fiction, nonfiction novel. And I'm so excited about it. You know, Dan Brown's one of my favorite authors because he's able to mix reality with fiction. And with everything I'm hearing from you, it might be really interesting. I, I would love to see you do something like that. Still have that drive for storytelling. So I think even in my nonfiction writing, even in my writing meant to teach people, it's still going to have a lot of story elements weaved into it because that's Something I've, I've always been a storyteller. It's like what I that really enjoy doing. Uh, and whether that's through code or through prose, something that I'm definitely going to be doing for the rest of my life. Correct me if I'm wrong here. I want to kind of sum up a little bit of what we heard today. Because part of this podcast and having you tell your story is maybe somebody listening is, is on the same path that you are or were. 
at, at some moment. And I want them to see how there's a light at that end of the tunnel. That if you, if you, in your case, just really pursue the things that you're excited about, even if they're not necessarily going to be quote unquote generating money for you right away, right? But following that path of this is what I want to do. And then I think you buckle down and you you learned as much as you could that you'll get to that where you want to be. It doesn't sound like you ever initially had a goal that you were reaching, but more along the lines of this is what I'm interested in right now and this is what I'm going to do, right? Like, Am I right or wrong there? And, and what could you want to talk to that person, that last thing you want to say to that person? The advice that my dad gave me, do what you love and you'll figure it out later. I think too much of the time we get caught up in like the, you know, what is the easiest, what is the simplest path to get into something. And I think what some research that that has been coming out shows us is that like, if you want to become really great at something, which I think is what we all want to do, if you want to be an elite level or a very high proficiency level, it's going to take a lot of hard work. It's going to take a lot of effort and time and dedication in the long run, right? Working at something every day until you get better and better and better at it. And you have to have at least some interest in doing that in order to actually capitalize on it. And I think that there's a lot of talk about like, oh, it's so hard to like shift around and move around. But if you've already built up that stamina to be able to just sit down and push yourself through something, you can apply that in basically any direction that you want to go. You can sit down and just learn something if you just put in the time day after day after day. So I would say like start out with things that you are already passionate about and then find opportunities to pivot to the area where you want to go to. Like I did, right? I just went through college and I was like, this is the thing that interests me. And eventually it led me to, okay, here's the thing. Here's the thing that all of these, I can use all of these things I've built up to like boost me in a direction to get me over over the hump, over the the kind of wall that would be put before me in any other situation. And that's how I got over that wall. All of those skills I had built up, pushing myself, learning things because I was passionate and I really wanted to understand them, gave me the tools I needed to be able to jump into an industry that I had no reasonable background to like, let alone become a junior engineer, but like become someone that was like the most knowledgeable person in a system. I love that. Chris, tell everybody how they can find you on the interwebs. And we'll also put that into the show notes. Basically everywhere, I'm at Scriptable, spelled S-K-R-I-P-T-B-L-E. And yeah, I think like Twitter, GitHub, Instagram, everything is Scriptable. So that's where you, you can find me. Nice, nice. Okay. Chris, thank you so much for spending an hour telling us about your life and your journey to where you are. This is Bill Kennedy with the Arden Labs podcast, checking out, and hopefully we'll get to see everybody again real soon. Music